Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye. And Mayu cannot be with us here today. In fact, this is actually a solo episode. It's just going to be me talking. So if you guys don't like me, you might as well just cut this episode short. But we're going to be talking about joint ventureships. I recently did a presentation with Volition Properties talking about the ins and outs of joint ventureships, the risks that it has, the rewards that it may have for some investors. I know that's a hot topic, especially in today's market. A lot of people are looking to partner up with other investors as qualifying has become more difficult, as capital has become a little bit more tight. So I thought it would be a relevant conversation to have. And and on another note, actually, there are some people who raise capital who are also struggling in this environment from the portfolio perspective because interest rates have shot up and they're finding that having whatever, 20 or 30 or 40 JVs and having to sink money into each one of those JVs is not really a sustainable business model. Um, So we're going to talk about, again, the ins and outs of joint ventureship. So we're going to get started without further ado. Before we get into joint ventureships, we got to understand what OPM is or other people's money. Very common acronym in the real estate world. Basically, it's leveraging other people's capital or finances to invest in real estate properties. So the most common form of OPM we can think of is bank financing. When you go buy a property, the bank gives you 80% of the money and you put down 20% of the down payment. And thus, you are leveraging the bank's money. So that's the most common form of OPM. There's also private money when you raise private funds from other people, vendor takebacks or seller financing real estate syndications, crowdfunding, which has become much more recent of a hot topic. And lastly, joint ventureships, which is what we're going to talk about now. But generally speaking, as a successful investor, you want to leverage multiple forms of other people's money. So you don't just want to do joint ventureships. You want to mix that up with other funds as well. So you can mix JVs with seller financing, with private financing, with bank financing, In my journey, I've used a mix of all of them. I suggest as you go along in your real estate journey to use a hybrid of multiple different OPM. So what is a joint venture in a technical definition? Basically, it's two or more people pooling resources together to accomplish a goal. And it's nothing new to the real estate world. In fact, it exists in the business world for decades. For example, a real life corporate example, Nestle has partnered with KitKat to distribute KitKat products in the Canadian market. However, in the U.S., it's Hershey's who's partnered with KitKat to distribute KitKat products in the U.S. market. So joint ventureships are not only a real estate term, but it's, it's an everyday business term as well. In real estate specifically, there are three factors that make a successful joint venture. I like to call them resources. The first resource is money. And money is obviously the money you need to fund the deal. So to fund your down payment, to fund your renovations, and also the financing capability as well. It's one thing to have the cash, but if you can't qualify for the mortgage, uh, that's another issue on its own. So the money aspect covers the capital and also the financing capability. 
The second resource is the people. These are the operators that execute the deal. So your property management, your contractors, your lawyers, your accountants, all of the people that make the deal successful and ensure that the deal is profitable. Believe it or not, finding the right people in real estate is extremely difficult. I've been dragged along a painful journey of contractors when getting started off in real estate and investing, and it cost me thousands of dollars. Now, I have a pretty thick skin for stress. Uh, not everyone may be ha- able to handle the same stress as I do, but having the right people definitely alleviates the stress and helps deals become more profitable. And the last resource is speaking about deals is the actual deal itself. So it's the property or project that you're purchasing that's going to make a profitable investment. And these can be properties that are on the market or off the market. And with a good deal, you need to look at price, the terms, the potential of the deal. Is there any upside, the profitability and the risk of the deal? So when you have the money, when you have the people and you have the deal, that's what makes a successful joint venture partner. Some partners are going to bring one or two resources while the other partner is going to bring the remaining resources. Now, you may be asking yourself what the most important resource is. When I got started off in investing, I always thought money was the most important resource, obviously because I didn't have much of it, but also because it was crazy to me to think about someone who would give all the down payment and renovations to get into an investment property. What are they getting in return? However, I was able to shift my mindset and see that the deal and the people are actually more important resources. If you have a deal that is going to be a full burr, where you're able to pull out all of your money and also you have the team to execute it in a smooth manner, that's where really the value comes from. There's going to be more than enough money chasing those sort of deals. However, it's important to keep in mind, depending on where we are in the economic cycle, that may impact which resources are more important. So in 2021 and 2022, During the peak of the market, it was quite evident that money was abundant. Everyone had money. Everyone wanted to buy real estate, but there was just not enough deals that made sense. And contractors, property managers, so on and so forth were extremely busy. So the most important resources was finding the right deal, the right profitable property, and also the people finding good contractors that are going to do work affordably and quickly with high quality, whereas the money was abundant. So it was a less important resource. So at that time, you could require better terms in your joint ventureship. However, now in a recessionary or declining environment, money becomes more important. And the reason being this is because qualifying for a mortgage has become much more difficult. Not everyone can qualify for a mortgage using a 9 or 10% stress test. Also, capital has become a more important resource because less and less people are saving money Inflation has increased. People are worried about their jobs. So more people are preserving the money. Whereas properties are abundant. Finding deals is easier than ever because there are a ton of properties sitting on the MLS, a ton of properties sitting off the market. Contractors and property managers are less busy than before. They're trying to find ways to keep busy. And thus finding decent contractors becomes much easier in a recessionary environment. So now the resource that becomes more important is actually the capital and the less important resources are the deal and the people. So depending on where you are in the cycle may actually impact as well, which resource is going to be more important and thus may impact how you structure your joint venture partnership. Now, traditionally speaking, a joint ventureship involves two parties, an active partner and a passive partner. The active partner is going to bring the people 
and is going to bring the deal. And the passive partner is going to bring the capital. Now, how you split profits, cash flow, capital calls, and all of these other expenses and profits are going to be up to negotiation. But traditionally speaking, how most joint ventures work is, is that the capital partner is going to bring the money to purchase and renovate the property. They're also going to qualify for the mortgage. In some cases, the passive partner is going to be required for any capital calls. That means if a roof goes down two years from now, or if the furnace needs to be replaced, that's going to be on the onus of the capital partner. Anything related to money is on the onus of them. There's some other JV partners who structure it such that capital calls are split 50-50, but ultimately it's going to be dependent on you and your partner. The active partner is going to be responsible for doing all of the work. So the bookkeeping, finding the deal, negotiating the deal, executing the deal, negotiating with contractors, property management, uh, maintenance, uh, providing reports to the passive partner, basically everything on the active side so that the passive partner isn't doing much, if any, work at all because their end of the bargain is bringing in the money. And how profits are split is 50-50. Upon sale of the property, which is usually a five-year term, any upside to the property is going to be split 50-50. The cash flow is split 50-50. Any loss on the property, assuming that, let's say, you sell and the property loses money, is also going to be split 50-50 as well. The capital partner is going to get all of their money back, including any capital calls, closing costs, expenses that came out of their pocket before any profit is split. So they're going to be made whole 100% before you get any sort of money. And thus your incentives are aligned in that case. That's the typical joint venture structure, but you don't have to keep it that way necessarily. You can be as flexible as you want. I know when I got started off investing in real estate, I wasn't able to raise 100% of the capital and have them responsible for the capital calls. So I had to sort of change my JV structure a little bit. So my first joint venture partnership was actually the JV partner bringing in the renovation money and the down payment. I was going to be holding the mortgage because borrowing capacity wasn't as important to me at that point in time. So I held the mortgage. They bought the money. I bought the deal. I bought the people and executed the deal accordingly. And after refinancing the property, any sort of money that's tied into the property, I'd split 50-50. So let's say they put in 100000 We pulled out 90000 So 10000 is left in the property. I committed to put in half of whatever's tied in the property. So in this case, I would give $5,000 to the capital partner. And thus, that would buy my share in the property. So that's how I structured it with my first JV. And then after I did a couple more, I structured it the traditional way where they would bring all the money. They would qualify for the mortgage. They would be responsible for capital calls. And I was responsible for the execution of the deal and also bringing the deal itself. Most recently, I actually changed up my JV structure a bit just because, again, as we chatted about earlier, the time in the cycle matters to which resource is more important. I understand that qualifying has become more difficult, and that's a pretty important resource to me. And also capital has become more tight, so that's a more important resource. So how I structured it is, is that a capital partner brings in 100% of the initial capital up to agreed upon amount. So in one of my JVs, it was up to $200,000 and any overages are covered by the active partner. So myself, after we refinance the property, any capital that's tied in is going to be split between the both of us. 
the passive partner is going to hold a mortgage and capital calls are going to be split 50-50 post-refinance. So with this particular example that I'm talking about, we're all in $240,000. And so my partner put in $200,000, I put in $40,000, we refinanced some money out, not all of it. So I ended up having some of my capital tied in along with the um, JV partner. And then after the fact, we had um, something go wrong with the roof and we had to go split that cost 50-50. Uh, But again, you have to be fluid with your JV structure as the market changes. And again, you can be as flexible as you want. A couple of things that you can play with is initial capital. The other party doesn't always need to bring in 100% of the money. They can bring in 70, you can bring in 30, you can be flexible with that. Cash flow. If cash flow is not important to you, you can give them 100% of cash flow. You can do 70, 30, 80, 20. Again, there's flexibility around that. Capital tied in. You can split the capital tied in after refinance by 50-50, or maybe they're responsible for 100% of the capital tied in. Uh, Maybe you guys will do 60-40. Again, there's flexibility around that. Capital calls, are you going to do 50-50? Are they going to be responsible for it? Are you going to be responsible for it? Are you going to do a 60-40 split? Profit split upon sale. You can play around with the percentages there. And also the mortgage. Who's going to qualify for the mortgage? There's so many different terms that you can play around with with the JV structure. And I think where most people get caught up is they think that it has to be one thing, but it it could be fluid. It could change depending on your partner. It could change depending on your needs. Now, in terms of uh, joint ventureships, another important part is raising capital. We're not going to spend too much time on this because there's a lot of other content on how to raise capital. Generally speaking, you want to post on social media and build a brand around yourself. In this digital age that we're in, people are fighting for our attention. But as you can see, just open up Instagram, go through your stories. You're going to see your friends traveling. You're going to see your friends doing cool stuff. They're fighting for your attention. They're fighting for your likes. They're fighting for your engagement. Likewise, businesses are fighting for the same thing as well. And so in order to fight for people's attention, you need to build yourself a strong brand and position yourself as a real estate expert. The more eyes you have on you on social media, the more money you'll eventually raise. So in terms of building a brand, for myself, it was hard to wrap my head around that because I come from a finance background. So I like to think about things logically. I would like to assume that I don't make emotional decisions. But here's a real life corporate example of why building a brand is extremely important. So in the 1980s, Coca-Cola was the leading beverage company by market share. And a lot of people said they preferred Coca-Cola because of the taste. They logically explained that it was better than Pepsi because the flavor was better. However, this wasn't necessarily true. Pepsi introduced the Pepsi challenge in the 1980s, and that was actually one of the greatest marketing campaigns of all time. In 1983, Pepsi actually outsold Coca-Cola. And what did Coca-Cola do? Did they double down on branding? No. Instead, they changed their formula. And this received major backlash. So people logically thought that Coke was better tasting than Pepsi, but Pepsi actually proved otherwise. With the Pepsi challenge, it was a double, it was a blind tasting test. Essentially what they did was people blindly tasted Coca-Cola and Pepsi, and they were asked which one they preferred. The majority of people actually preferred Pepsi, which is not what they were saying before. Coca-Cola wanted to fight against Pepsi with changing the formula received backlash. And instead, what they did is, is that 
They went back to their old formula and doubled down on branding. And now they're one of the most valuable brands in the world. So again, it's not always rationale and logic that you're trying to cater towards. You're trying to cater towards people's emotions as well when creating content and building a brand. People make decisions on whether they partner with you, not solely based on the numbers of the property. If the numbers are juicy, but someone doesn't like you or someone doesn't trust you, they're still not going to partner with you. People need to focus on having people trust you, like you and know you. And once you're able to have people do these three things, then you can shift the conversation to the numbers and eventually convince people to partner with you. However, so many people are focusing on the numbers, not enough on building the brand where people trust, like and know you. You want to build a brand to, of course, build an image, gain trust from people, position yourself as an expert to sell yourself and your services, to show how real estate is going to help yours and other people's lifestyle. And ultimately, you want to attract capital. You want people to reach out to you and not having to go reach out to find capital. And that's what really makes uh, sort of a, a JV business machine grow is people are constantly feeding uh, you with money to invest in real estate properties. In order to create content, you need to build your ideal JV avatar. And that means you have to think about who is going to invest with you and write them down, describe them. And the more descriptive you can get, the greater the ability for you to create content to target these specific individuals. You want to hit the emotion. You want to resonate with your avatar. You want to be specific about who your JV avatar is. For me, my ideal JB avatar, someone in the late 20s, to the late 30s or early 40s, they have a white collar job making more than $100,000. Their job is pretty stressful. They want to make a change in life, maybe a career transition. Maybe they're not satisfied with their job. Maybe they're not satisfied with the pay, but they've always considered investing in real estate or investing in general, but may not necessarily have the time for it. They need to have at least $150,000 minimum in liquid funds ideally also have access to a HELOC or a home with significant equity built up. They have money in the stock market or mutual fund, so they invested a little bit. In terms of family life, they're married with kids. Their time is tied up between their wife, work, and family life. So they don't, again, don't have much time to invest, but they do understand real estate investing on a high level. They understand it's a long-term game. It's an excellent wealth builder when you look in the long-term and they understand basic concepts like return on investment. You don't want someone completely green to real estate. Otherwise, they may have a heart attack with the small issues that come up throughout your investing journey. And that was one of the mistakes I made when doing joint ventures early. I partnered with people who didn't really have much of a clue about investing and every little thing stressed them out. And ultimately that stressed me out and put strain in our relationship. Now that you have your avatar described, you need to fill out what's called an empathy map. If you go on Google, you can literally search empathy map and probably see the same thing that I'm seeing. Basically, in a nutshell, you want to understand what this person thinks and feel. So write down what your JV avatar thinks and feels on a day-to-day basis. What do they see on a day-to-day basis? Maybe they see people commuting and work miserable because commuting is one of the worst things that uh, people experience. I remember I hated it. So I would make posts around that. Maybe they see other people who are unhappy with their job. What do they say or do? Maybe they say, I wish I had time to invest. I wish I could get into real estate. Um, I wish I knew more about real estate. 
What do they hear on a day-to-day basis? So what do they think and feel? What do they see? What do they say and do? And what do they hear? So start creating a list of all of these things. And when you create content again, make sure that you target your JV avatar and you incorporate some of these aspects on the empathy map in your content. And of course, you want to leverage different social media platforms. There are a ton out there. So pick a couple that's going to work the best for you. One of the more popular ones is, of course, Instagram. That's a narcissistic platform. It's all about your highlight reels and it's all about quantity over quality. So you don't need the highest quality content, to be honest. You want to engage with people often. You want to have a lot of touch points with them because there are so many people posting on Instagram. You always want to be top of mind. Generally, it's a younger audience or millennials. And when I post stories and when I post actual posts itself, I make sure I try to target four categories, an educational post to educate people on real estate. Because again, you don't want someone completely green into investing, a personal post. So so have people get to know me a little bit more, a motivational post, and then just a random post here and there as well to mix things up. You can use Facebook, which is generally an older audience, people in their 30s to 50s. And it may be a lot of people that you know and have lost touch with, which is a good way to introduce yourself back into their lives by posting real estate content. It's usually ideal for medium-sized content, and it's all about quality over quantity on this platform. There's YouTube, which you can do short-form, medium-form, or long-form content, and it's the best way to position yourself as an expert. Now, you may not get a ton of views, but anyone who has the confidence in putting a 10 or 15-minute video on YouTube, even explaining a simple concept, will be positioned as an expert. And it's the best way also to get people to know you personally and like you as they get to see you uh, live and in the flesh in YouTube, whereas in the other platforms, it's just simply a photo. LinkedIn, that's a professional platform. You got to think and act like a white collar employee. It's a great way to raise capital, but you need to focus on educating others. Usually I don't have a firm call to action and quality is very important on this platform. You want to talk about your milestones. You want to talk about financial accomplishments you might have hit. You want to create long form articles about real estate. And your credibility is often leveraged by your previous job experience, accomplishments, and educational background in LinkedIn. And then there's Twitter, which is short form content. It's usually high value sort of posts, but minimal ask. So you don't want to ask people to give you money on on Twitter. You want to push them towards your Instagram or other social media platform. I find that it's actually more data focused, believe it or not. And uh, there's a lot of headline news on what's happening currently in the market. And it's also a great way to possession yourself as an expert by posting relevant news and showing that you're keeping up with everything. And of course, TikTok, the newer platform, the platform with the quickest potential growth, the algorithms all over the place. So you can simply go viral on TikTok by posting really anything. And you want to funnel these people over to your Instagram or other platforms where you have more personal content. But remember, regardless of whatever social media platform you use, you want to lead with providing value first. A lot of people try to go straight for the ass. That's the wrong thing to do. That's not going to get people to know, trust, or like you. You want to provide with value first. And then later on in your journey, have that ask about the joint ventureship. Now we're going to talk about some of the risk of joint ventureships. And I went through some of these problems myself. I've spoke with other people who had ran into a couple more problems. And I, I, I want to summarize it here because everyone talks about the pros but there are always going to be cons with these things as well. One sort of risk to consider is the resource strength. So when you have multiple JVs, it's hard to communicate with everyone. 
And so you're going to need to eventually hire an admin or someone to help you. And you're going to need more resources to manage this business. If you're looking at scaling a 50, 60 property joint ventureship portfolio, then you definitely need multiple full-time staffs. And that could be stressful from a capital constraint perspective because real estate, although it's cash flow positive in some situations, in a lot of cases, you're going to find yourself reinvesting that money back into the property when there are maintenance calls. Another thing is market timing risk. When you're acquiring a ton of properties with joint venture partners, this may lead to high exposure to market timing risk. So there are some JV capital raisers out there who purchased a ton of properties in 2021 and 2022. And now, obviously, with the market dropping down, they found that they overpaid for a ton of properties. And of course, the joint venture partners aren't going to be happy if any of them want to force a sale, depending how your terms are structured. That may not be good news for you as well. Being able to raise capital and buy properties isn't an excuse to just go buy 50 or 60 properties at one go there's still always that element of buying at the right time. And I know it's hard to time the market, but you also don't want to overexpose yourself to one sort of side of the market or one sort of cycle of the market. Um, Locked in capital, depending on how much, how you structure your joint venture partnerships, if you're responsible for capital calls or half a capital calls, or you're responsible for putting in 50% of the money tied into the property post refinance, you may have a lot of capital tied in across multiple projects and soon you're going to face liquidity challenges. Capital calls, as I mentioned earlier, if you're responsible for capital calls on multiple properties then and you have too many properties in your portfolio, especially smaller properties like single family homes or duplexes, you are heavily exposed to capital call risk. If there are four or five properties that require a mechanical change and that's going to cost you fifty or $60,000 across the portfolio, how are you going to float that money? So that's another real risk. Timeline. If one party wants to sell and the other party doesn't want to sell, how do you figure out a solution? Make sure to draft that up in your contract as well. Time commitment and expectations. So with joint venture partnerships, we need to understand that sometimes passive partners want you to respond within five or six hours. So you need to make sure you set that expectation clear on your communication guidelines and your time commitment on your end as well. Also, the more properties you have, the more you have to do, the more reporting and updates you have to provide across multiple partners and changing regulations. So UHT filings, for example, um, if you don't, if you're not an accountant and you're hiring the UHT filings, which is underutilized housing tax filings, an accountant, you're spending three or $400 per property and that could add up to a lot of expenses. And who knows, maybe there's going to be a regulation on joint ventureships, making them more strict, but that's something to consider. Also, one of the biggest risks is selecting the wrong JV avatar. You don't want to select someone who doesn't understand the risk of real estate investing because they need to understand if a tenant doesn't pay you rent, the tenant's going to live there rent free for six, seven, eight months at a time. Right? You don't want to hide these risks from them because if they do come up, you're going to have to deal with them and your joint venture partner is not going to be happy that you never mentioned it. So make sure to bring these risks up to the joint ventureship, uh, to the joint venture partner in advance so they have more realistic expectations for real estate investing. Also, sometimes your joint venture partner may over leverage themselves. Maybe they buy a property with you and then go ahead and buy two or three properties themselves and they get themselves in a tight situation. 
Now, if they have to sell this property and have no choice, that puts you in a tough spot as well because of the irresponsible decisions that they made in their own personal life. Sometimes you'll have JV partners counting pennies and not dollars. For example, if a property needs immediate repair, maybe they say, let's wait till the issue gets worse or let's wait till a tenant complains before we put in more money. So that's going to end up costing you even more money down the line and more problems down the line. They could be operational disagreements. Sometimes passive partners want to be too involved in the process and they almost become a second active partner. And you guys may have a lot of operational disagreements, which obviously doesn't make for a good JV relationship. Other risks to consider, again, is financing risk. Maybe they qualify on purchase, but not on refinance. Maybe before refinancing, they make some other purchases and that will jeopardize your ability to refinance. Um, your JV property with them and more capital is going to be tied in. And that could possibly be half of your capital tied in as well, depending how you structured the terms. You have lack of control over the JV's life decision. As I mentioned before, you may have a property with them, but they may make a ton of irresponsible decisions on the personal life, which may have them for sale your JV property that you have with them. And if the market's not in a good place, then you may take an L with that. There's also counterparty risk. Basically, if your partner defaults on their obligations or financial commitments, it could jeopardize the success of the venture. So let's say there's a maintenance repair that needs to be done and your JV partner has no money now. So you're going to have to float that cost or that repair can't get done and the property is going to deteriorate over time. I hear this happen with a lot of people, actually. And also, they can ultimately sell the property without your consent if your property is not registered on title. Now, obviously, you can take them to court and very likely you may win that court case. Again, this is not legal advice. But however, nonetheless, if your JV contract is not registered on title, they may be able to sell the property without your permission. And then you may have to go through the courts to get that money back. Some of the questions that you can ask your joint venture, hopefully avoid these issues going forward, is, is ask them their expectations in the joint venture. Then express your expectations and the reality as well. Figure out what the employment is. It is it going to be a steady employment? What are the timelines that they're looking for? What is the cash flow expectations? How much capital are they comfortable having tied in? Are they looking for a burr? What strategy are they looking to implement? What is their borrowing capacity? Are they pre-approved? Do they have any other big purchases coming up that will restrict their financing potential going forward? What do they consider a successful joint venture? What do they know about the risk of real estate investing? And make sure to explain the risk on your end as well. Set expectations on real estate being a long-term investment. Ask them what happens if you can't pull out all their money? What happens if there's an $8,000 capital call? What happens if an appraisal comes back and it's unfavorable? What are their expect expectations on communications, accounting, and reporting? And of course, again, as you ask them all these questions, you want to let them know your perspective as well. And just make sure that both of you guys are aligned before getting into this relationship. Anyways, that is a joint venturship in a nutshell. There's a lot of material we covered here. Felt like I went in a tangent in some situations, but hopefully you guys got some value out of this. And if you enjoyed an episode like this, make sure to uh, hit me up. Let me know. Maybe we can film more episodes like this where we break down a specific real estate strategy in depth. And until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Take care, all.